pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Chronic pain can be unpredictable. We feel fine one minute and in agony the next. It's depressing. We become afraid of doing anything. And most of all, we feel powerless and then resign to just living in pain. Our guest, Dr. Deborah Barrett, feels just the opposite. In her book, Pain Tracking, Your Personal Guide to Living Well with Chronic Pain, she's designed a step-by-step process of assessment. She helps us keep track of the occurrences of pain and then test and tweak approaches that promote well-being and reduce suffering. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Mylan Pharmaceuticals, Purdue Pharma, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Horizon Pharma, Pentech Health, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Dr. Deborah Barrett is a clinical associate professor of social work at the University of North Carolina. She's also a psychotherapist and licensed social worker in private practice. The origin of pain tracking began when she was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and myofascial pain syndrome while completing her PhD. She subsequently grappled with her ongoing pain, trying to discover ways to find mastery over it. Out of this struggle, she developed the pain tracking system. Deborah, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you for having me, Dr. Christo. Your book, Pain Tracking, is really quite comprehensive and covers so many aspects of dealing with pain in our lives. Tell us briefly, what inspired you to begin writing it? Well, it was my own therapeutic journey. I, um, about, oh boy, in 1994, I developed chronic pain and I did not know what hit me. And I was um, struggling with that and trying to figure out, figure out why one day I would be feeling relatively okay and another day I felt like I was plowed over by a stampede of buffaloes. And at one point I started um, tracking and I learned so much myself and that, that's what started me in the process of writing this book. I mean, during your process of self-discovery, how did you actually develop the title, Pain Tracking? I guess the premise of the book is figuring out what makes you feel better and organizing your life around it. And I think in order to do that, you know, it's not just about understanding what, um, understanding things about your condition or your diagnosis, but understanding what affects you on a daily basis. So tracking your own 
experience so that you can learn and be able to make choices so that um, you understand and can improve how you're feeling. That sounds great. I mean, I think a lot of patients who have pain probably haven't thought about tracking their pain in that manner. Uh, Deborah, how has the book helped you achieve mastery over your own pain? The writing process was therapeutic, but also, I mean, I live pain tracking in the sense that well, I can look at uh, my calendar, for example, and I can I can look at it and think, okay, this day is going to be hard, so I'm going to schedule in some really deliberate downtime. One of the things that's so hard about chronic pain, in addition to the pain, um, obviously, is the unpredictability. And so people feel often like they can't plan. They don't know what's going, how they're going to feel. They might feel good one moment and lousy the next and not know why. And so what this process is all about, the pain tracking process, is that at first you may be thinking more about your pain by figuring it out, but over time you learn so much that you can think less and less about it because you're not experiencing as much. And when you do, it's predictable. And when pain is predictable, it's so much less difficult when you're able to um, see it coming. You know, absolutely. I can see how predicting your pain can be really valuable. Uh, pain tracking, your book, at its core, is a self-study tool that enables a person to diagram both the progression and regression of pain in their daily lives. When someone commits to tracking their pain in this way, what benefits uh, may they expect? I mean, why is it important to do? If you're able to just see over time how you've actually felt, if you're able to say, gee, today is lousy, but this is one of my three, you know, approximately three days a month where I feel this bad, it's so much easier to get through that day. And the other thing, which I think is even more important, is developing kind of an experimental mindset so that you're able to figure out what makes your ups so up and your downs so down so that you can take control of that. This is really a, a lifestyle and a process. Uh, Deborah, what's the evidence that pain tracking is useful in making us feel better? The best evidence is individuals, people's evidence. You can figure it out and see for yourself your own improvement. And that's really the crux of the book. It's the crux of the website that goes along with it. And My Pain Diary is another one that I know is it's a wonderful app that uh, tens of thousands of people I think are using with pain tracking or the, this concept of self-tracking, you can figure out what actually helps you. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this concept of individualization of care or self-care is pretty appealing. When we come back from the break, we'll talk to Deborah about how her clients have benefited from her approach. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Mylan Pharmaceuticals, one of the world's leading generic pharmaceutical companies. Discover why at Mylan, quality isn't just a claim, it's a cause we've made personal at seeinsidemylan.com. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives. Reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. Welcome back. We're speaking with Dr. Deborah Barrett, a licensed social worker and psychotherapist who's written a book called Pain Tracking, which is a step-by-step -step process of assessing occurrences of pain and testing new approaches in dealing with pain. Deborah, can you give us examples or, or tell us how your clients have benefited from this approach? Oh, without a doubt. The book took me many years to write, and I've been working with people you know, throughout that time. And some of the discoveries people made, for example, was that the pain itself maybe was less debilitating than the fear around the pain. And when they were able to start to realize when their pain was better or worse and what they could do to take control of it, 
that helped incredibly. Absolutely. I think it's the control of pain that can be very, very helpful once you've achieved it. Uh, Deborah, are there certain kinds of pain conditions that benefit the greatest from this method? Um, I would say that really everything. I mean, it could be something, you know, it could be cancer. It could be fibromyalgia. It could be vulvodynia. It could be any kind of any kind of chronic pain, really. How long have you been using this approach? Well, I'd say first, personally, I came to it um, for myself about 17 years ago. And then in the last um, decade, um, I've been working with, you know, my clients. And also I've been um, writing about it. And people, you know, um, in correspondence let me know what's been helpful for them. And, and that's, that's been so rewarding to me as well. Many at this point are probably wondering, well, how long will it take for me to experience some pain relief from pain tracking? In my case, it turned out I, I was living in California and, and we drank wine with dinner. And, and when I, my pain started, maybe I was drinking a little bit more wine. And, and what I didn't, I was completely blown away. And I learned this really quickly is that even if I had one glass of wine, this is just for me, and that's the idea. Pain tracking is very individualized, that I would feel much worse than my baseline for about two days. And so it was a really easy choice for me to decide whether or not to drink wine. And so I think you can learn really quickly about certain things. And the idea is to keep it simple, just track two or three things over time, figure that out, and you can always add more and um, adjust as needed. Let's talk about how the tracking actually works. I mean, is there a website program or is there something that we can keep track of through handwritten notes? In the book, what I, I talk about all different methods, just how to think it through for yourself, what to track, how to do that. And for some people, it might be making a few notations, maybe even, you know, drawing a couple pictures. Um, to represent certain things in their calendar. For other people, they might want to use a spreadsheet. And then there are there's a program associated with my book, Pain Tracking. That's a website, and it may um, we may move it also into an app. That's um, something that we're talking about now. Uh, but it's really important to pick something that fits your lifestyle. How long does the process of tracking our pain take each day? I mean, a couple of minutes, several hours? That's a great question because I think that it's important that tracking takes it no more than maybe two minutes a day every day. I mean, people with chronic pain, and I know this from personal experience, you know, we're dealing with chronic pain. We're exhausted. We don't want to think more about our pain. And if you make it into something that is complicated, um, we're not going to do it. And it's really demoralizing to have something that we set up to fail. And so what I say is if the tracking system that you're using, if you're not able to do it every day, there's nothing wrong with you, but there's something to change in the way you're doing it. You might need to just simplify and really stick to what you think is most relevant to you at this very moment to help you figure things out. Let's delve into the process of tracking. For example, how would we track our pain medicines? I think, first of all, it's really important to have a record somewhere of every pain medication or all the medications that you're taking at any moment. Or if you're having a change in your medication, if your doctor says, you know, let's try medicine, medication A instead of B, let's see how you're doing, that I would just record what you're taking that day and how you're feeling so over time you can really see and work with your doctor. And a key part of this is collaboration you know, your doctor gets, what, 15 minutes in the office visit, and, you know, you need to be able to convey to them what you're experiencing. So being able to track how you're doing with a change in medication or if you're taking something as needed, PRN, then you would want to 
notice, for example, do I do better if I take this medication, for example, before I exercise rather than after or before my pain is really high rather than during and figuring out those things, you know, and once you have that figured out, you don't need to track that piece anymore. So the way I think about it is track what you're trying to figure out at each moment. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if you can track how effective your pain medicines are and when. When we come back from the break, we'll talk about how pain tracking can help us exercise despite the pain. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. Horizon Pharma a biopharmaceutical company that develops and commercializes innovative medicines to target unmet therapeutic needs in arthritis, pain, and inflammatory diseases. Pentech Health, one of the nation's largest pharmacy and nursing companies dedicated solely to providing in-home care for patients with implanted pumps used for the treatment of severe pain or spasticity. Welcome back. We're speaking with Dr. Deborah Barrett, who is the author of Pain Tracking. Deborah, how can tracking exercise actually help us exercise when we're in pain or despite the pain? I was very fit um, before my pain started and I um, stopped exercising because of the pain and then I tried again to exercise because I read and heard from everyone that that would be helpful but when I would try my pain would go off the chart. I would just be in so much pain so I went back. I cut back in my case to one minute a day and I tracked that. I wrote one minute and then how did I feel during? How did I feel after? And then if the evidence was that it didn't make me any worse, I did it again. And if when I was ready, I increased it to two minutes and then eventually worked up to an hour exercise routine where I was able to do that without making my pain any worse. I think you've made a great point because this is a way that can help people overcome the fear of exercise-induced pain and at the same time allow them to customize an exercise program that won't worsen their pain. And sometimes it actually feels great to exercise when, depending on your pain condition. I know for me the endorphins kick in and I can exercise for hours, but then what happens is I, I'm in bed for days if I overdo it. You know, we, all, we can say overdoing it, but when do we know we've overdid it? It's after the fact. And so the idea with tracking is not to listen to your body and your intuition, which you know, we're told time and time again, trust your, trust your body, listen to your body. But in this case, I say trust the data. Figure out how your body responds so that you can develop a new intuition based on what you've learned. A new intuition. I mean, that's intriguing. You know, rarely do patients share the impact of pain on sexual intimacy with me. I mean, I mean, some do. But how can patients best track sexual intimacy so that they can re-engage in this important aspect of life? If you're able to engage in intimacy of any kind, you know, in a safe environment where you feel good, your body can only um, experience so many things at once, and you may be able to turn your experience into a much more positive one. And so as you're able to do that, make a little smiley face at the side of your bed or something that <laughs> reminds you that, you know, when we did this last time, it, it actually ended up feeling really good. You know, an experiment. Treat everything as an experiment and going into it that way, thinking, well, you know, let me try to get really close and feel the all the good chemicals that come from feeling, you know, having um, caressing or hugging or, what you know, kissing whatever it is that can be helpful to you, and then 
use that data to remind yourself to to do it to do it again and and if it turns out to be something that didn't feel good in some way then come back to your experiment and figure out you know what will you feel what will help you feel better uh, Deborah as a psychotherapist what helps achieve acceptance and then mastery over pain the way i think of it is kind of this dialectic of change and acceptance going together that they're not one or the other so the idea is it's really important that you accept at this very moment, this is how you feel. Acceptance comes through a process. It involves grief, it grieves, you know, loss over all the things maybe that we've had to change or, or give up, at least for the moment in our lives. But accepting where you are right now allows you to figure out how to improve. So what I'd like to really emphasize is through acceptance, we can also, very importantly, work towards change. Absolutely. I mean, that's really the message of hope that I promote in my practice and on this show. I let patients know that how poorly they feel now is not necessarily how they're going to feel in the future or forever. There are therapies that can help to restore their quality of life. Yeah, and I think that that's where tracking comes in also, because even if you say, am I going to feel this way all the time, that same person doesn't feel that way all day. All right, exactly. Hope, as you said, is a really important thing, and I don't think it's an empty Um, promise. I think it's the idea of learning from your body so that you can increasingly, you know, in small steps, just keep altering your life. It's a, and you said, how long is this going to take? I'll say it's a very quick to learn something and then it's life learned to continue to keep learning. Right. Deborah, talk to us about techniques that we can use that calm the mind and the body. Um, mindfulness is something that is getting more and more um, popular. As a way, you know, a lot of people are, are hearing about mindfulness, and mindfulness is a it's, it's a simple concept, but it, it's really about what we say to ourselves. So, being mindful of what you're feeling, so that you can adapt and you can be aware of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and altering that in a way that is not pie in the sky, like I'm going to just get through this, but something that's grounded in what you've learned by pain tracking. Right. And, and, you know, mindfulness leads us into self-talk. Deborah, how effective is self-talk? If you're sitting in traffic and people generally find that to be an unpleasant thing, you can say to yourself, you know, I should have taken a different route. I can't stand this. This is awful. You can beep your horn. And no matter what you do, you're pretty much going to arrive at your destination at the same time. But if you sit in the car and you think, here I am, I'm in traffic, and to observe that non-judgmentally and then think, what do I want to do with these moments? You know, and you can indulge your fantasy life. You can um, work on your to-do list. You can have a meaningful conversation if you're in the car with someone. You can focus on what's on the radio. You can notice what's around you. And you're going to arrive at the same, you know, at the same time to the same place, but you're going to feel so much different when you get there. And you're also going to feel really different during the car ride itself. And with chronic pain, it's the same thing. If I try to, I don't know, ride my bike and I decide I should be able to ride my bike just like I used to before I had chronic pain and I get out there and I, you know, do a long bike ride and I think how I'm hurting and I shouldn't be and what's wrong with me and, you know, you can just catastrophize and think about how I'm never going to be able to do this and and then just give up. By having self-talk, that was around how do I adapt to being able to bike so I can keep up with my kids. 
that allowed me to get an electric bike, which has really changed my life. That's great to hear. You know, and, and having or incorporating positive rather than negative self-talk allows us to change our environment in a way that releases us from, from the prison of pain. Deborah, many of my patients are scared to reveal that they have pain to their boss, lest they lose their job. I mean, what do you recommend? How, what's the best approach? You don't need to tell anybody unless there's a reason but if there's something, for example, at work that would make your condition, your um, working environment better for you, think it through, try to problem solve, and then bring that to your boss. Great suggestion. Deborah. how about methods of socializing with others, family, friends, so that isolation doesn't occur? I mean, some of my patients feel that, well, that they're always complaining about their pain and nobody wants to be around them. You know, we all need a break from that. Your friends need a break from that. Your family needs a break from that. And frankly, you need a break from that because... You know, we will bore ourselves to tears. This is a wonderful reason to cull your friends and think about which friends do I spend time with and find that I'm feeling better and which ones do I tend to feel exhausted and worse and organize your social life around that. Pick places that you are comfortable, bring things, whether it's a seat cushion or um, whatever you know you figure out that can help you that allows you to engage in things that, that not only can you tolerate, but that you can enjoy. And finally, what's your message of hope from your book and your work as a psychotherapist? You can continue to learn things that can help you feel better. There are medications. There are so many different strategies. I outline a number of them in my book. And that there, some things are, are really you know, simple things, like changing the way that you breathe can have a profound effect on how you feel. Never give up and really be systematic and figuring it out one small step at a time. Dr. Deborah Barrett, thank you very much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Thank you so much. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Mylan Pharmaceuticals, Purdue Pharma, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Horizon Pharma, Pentec Health, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Here's a question from Hilda in Great Falls, Montana. Is there a connection between sleep inflammation, and pain. Well, Hilda, sleep deprivation increases levels of inflammatory molecules. The molecules are called cytokines, and higher levels of them can lead to medical problems, including pain. It's thought that getting more sleep helps restore these cytokines to normal levels and may indeed speed recuperation. There's evidence that pain perception increases after sleep deprivation, and muscle aches can develop as well. We also know that sleep disturbances in patients with rheumatoid arthritis or fibromyalgia can worsen pain. It's important then to try different therapies that will help provide more restful sleep. Julianne from Henderson, Nevada asks, I'm pregnant with my first baby and have severe low back pain. I had surgery when I was young for scoliosis, and now the pain is even more intense. I've been given narcotics, and they're the only medicine that's helping. Are they safe? Well, Julianne, first, acetaminophen in pregnancy is considered safe, and even anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen or naproxen can be used during the first trimester, but shouldn't be used in the third trimester. If the pain doesn't respond to these medicines, then opioids like morphine, oxycodone, or hydrocodone would be considered next. 
they've been considered safe in pregnancy, although a recent study demonstrated that there is an association between using opioids from the first month before pregnancy to the first trimester and the development of fetal heart defects, spina bifida, which is when the spinal cord protrudes through an opening in the spine, and gastroschisis, which is an abdominal wall defect that causes herniation of the intestines in the fetus. This doesn't mean that opioids cause these problems. Rather, the researchers found an association, so anybody needing these medicines for pain during pregnancy should weigh the risks and benefits before starting them. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.